thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Well, morning, everybody. It's great to see you, those of you looking in online with us, and great to see some faces here in the building today. So my topic, as Alison said, is probably not the easiest topic to think about, but in many ways, it connects us with so much that's been happening in the course of the year that we've lived through. I'm kind of guessing that for many of us, when we think about 2020, it's going to provide us with some very strange and unusual stories to tell our grandchildren in years to come. You know, it's the year when pretty much everything stopped for four months, apart from the fact that the Prime Minister encourages us all to take a little bit of daily exercise. You know, in many respects, the fact that we were confined to our houses and we couldn't do much, it sounds a little bit more like something that George Orwell might have included in his famous novel, 1984, a little bit of a, a dystopian kind of society. It's been a tough year. And many, many people, maybe you as you're viewing online today or some of our folks here in the building have really struggled with this year. Maybe some have lost people through this awful pandemic. I found a little bit of research just a few weeks ago that on the 1st of October, the actual amount of people across the world who died as a result of this pandemic went over 1 million. And it's a sobering statistic because that's not just people who've sadly and tragically lost their lives to this pandemic, but it's families and friends. And it reminds us of how our society, not just here in the UK, but across the world, maybe where some of you folks are watching online, have been deeply impacted, surprisingly, by all that's happened. Something really impacted me just a couple of weeks ago. It may not look like the fact, but I do go to the gym. Not necessarily the gym, but I love swimming. And I go a couple of times a week, and um, usually my wife puts my gym bag by the door, and it's a gentle reminder, you need to go swimming, Stuart. But, you know, those things happen. And I came out of the pool this one morning and just coming back into the reception area of the gym where I go and use the pool. And there was a photograph on a table. And I recognised the face on the photograph, though I didn't know the lady's name, um, but she was one of the ladies that worked at the reception desk at the gym I go to. And instantly I thought, how tragic. And I noticed, I looked closer, that the, they were taking a collection there uh, in aid of cystic fibrosis. And so I went to the reception counter and spoke to one of the other young ladies. I said, Does, you know, has the lady passed away? She said, yeah. She said, she, she died this year. And I said, that's awful. I said, was it cystic fibrosis? Because I know you're collecting for it. She said, no, she lost her daughter a year ago, last November time, through cystic fibrosis. I said, well, that's, that's awful. I said, so do you mind me asking? I was probably being a little bit inquisitive. I said, do you mind me asking what it was? You know, was it coronavirus? She said, no. She said, she just couldn't take any more. And something hit me. In fact, I went home and I was, felt so emotional. It kind of impacted me that this lady who I didn't know her name, but she was always so nice, said hello and nodded. And as I went in and got about my swim sessions and then came out, but it brought it home, the tragedy of the loss that people are feeling so often today. We knew before this pandemic that life can be a very, very difficult experience for so many people. In fact, the, the novelist Karen Hess has reflected this. She said, the way I see it, hard times aren't only about money or drought or dust. 
Hard times are about people losing spirit and hope. And what happens when dreams dry up? That really impacted me as I began to think it's not just the fact that people aren't around in some folks' world. It's, it's the aspiration and the hope of what that relationship represented. It's the future those people had together. It's something much more than just the fact that they're not there. It's everything that would have been there had they not suddenly been taken. And the stories that we tell about life so often are a collection of both happy and sad words, aren't they? The stories we tell are moments of celebration and joy, but they're also moments of painful loss and tragedy. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that we find that the stories of the people we read about, they, they get, went through so many similar experiences to those that we do. Yet yeah, it may have been many thousands of years ago in different locations and different cultures, but nevertheless, their experience is so similar to those that we experienced. And the story I want to unpack as we think about this theme today is one of the great stories of the Old Testament. It's the story of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, there are four chapters. And those four chapters give us four scenes in four different locations that really unpack for us four great truths. In many ways, it's, it's like the screenplay of a fantastic movie or the plot of a great stage theatre production. It's a story that takes us through migration and famine and bereavement and homecoming and poverty and kindness and redemption and hope. And the first scene is set at a crossroads in Moab. Earlier on in the story, if you've read the book of Ruth, as Leon would have encouraged you last week, maybe to do this week, you'll know that Naomi and her husband Elimelech had left Judea where there was a famine and they'd headed east about 50 miles to a place called Moab where there wasn't famine. And tragically, we don't know the time scale, but Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. And then her two sons, Marlon and Killian, they, they meet these beautiful young Moabite girls, Ruth and Orpah. And they get married and it seems like, well, okay, Naomi's got a future again. But tragically, again, we don't know the time frames, but her two sons die. And she's left alone in so many ways with her future gone. And Naomi decides to head back to Bethlehem in Judea. She realised and had heard that the famine was now over. And on the way, they arrive in many ways it's a philosophical crossroads, even not a particularly practical one. But she turns to her daughter-in-laws and she says, hey, you know, you should go back to Moab, to, to your people. Find husbands there. Find a new future for yourselves. I'm an old woman now. It's unlikely I'm going to marry again. It's certainly unlikely I'll have children. And, and if I did, how long is it going to take for those children to grow up so that you can have husbands again? Why don't you head back? And Orpah decides that's what she's going to do. She'll return to what she knew, what she could be certain of, her family, her friends, her relationships, her environment. But Ruth makes a very different choice. She makes a choice that is driven by loyalty to Naomi, but it's a choice that will lead her on an uncertain pathway, a future she cannot guarantee something she cannot know. Here she is, she's grieving as well. She's lost her husband much in the same way as Naomi has hers. And her words are very famous words in the Bible in Ruth chapter one and verse 16. Many of you will know them. Ruth replied this, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. 
Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And you know, that moment, that choice changed Ruth's life and future forever. It impacted not just her life, but generations of people. And here's the first great truth that comes from the story of Ruth. And it's this, that there is always a road out of our loss, our grief and our heartbreak. And I don't want to minimalise in any way the effect of what you may be feeling as you're watching in online or, or our friends and folk here in the building, what you're experiencing. But I want to bring you a message of hope today that there is always a road out of our grief and our loss and our heartbreak. And it's a road on which Jesus himself stands. And we see that in the life of Jesus, the people he came into contact with, the situations he changed because he is the very substance of hope. And on one occasion, we read in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 11, a couple of the last verses there where Jesus says these words, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. I really want to say to you today, friends, here in the room watching online, that God understands the pain of our human story. He enters into that pain in the person of Jesus and through the presence of the Holy Spirit who will come and reside in our hearts when we invite him to come and live within us. But it's still our choice to turn towards God. We still have that freedom of choice in what we're experiencing and nobody can maybe begin to imagine what some of you are experiencing as you watch in, as you listen to me today here in our venue. But God understands. He wants you to know he is the roadway. Jesus said on another occasion that I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want to come to the Father, it is always through me. But the second scene we see in the story of Ruth is set in the grain fields of Bethlehem. And in this part of Ruth's story, the real essence of what we're reading about here is all about kindness and grace. Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem and the, the name for Bethlehem means house of bread and they arrive at harvest time. And if you know the passage and you know the story, you'll know that Ruth goes out into the fields to glean. And gleaning was when people would follow behind the harvesters to pick up the scraps. In fact, the law required that the corners of the fields should be left and anything that had fallen in the corners of the fields should be left for the strangers or the poor and the bereaved. And she went out just to collect scraps. But there's a remarkable sense in that she doesn't realise she's gone to the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of her late father-in-law. And that's where she's gleaning. It seems by chance, but we'll actually find it's not. It's the providence of God. And Boaz shines, shows a huge kindness when he realises this is Ruth, who's the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who he knows by family marriage. And he gives instructions that not only should the, the lads who are harvesting and the women who are harvesting 
not bother Ruth, but they should drop what one old version of the Bible called handfuls on purpose. Take some heads and drop them deliberately. You see, when God comes to minister to our life, he doesn't ask us to pick up the scraps. He drops handfuls of goodness on purpose in our pathway. And the huge kindness that Boaz shows here is not just chance. It's a sign in Ruth's life of God's providence. That is God's goodness being shown in her circumstances. And I want to suggest to you today that our stories are filled with unseen moments of God's providence and goodness. Many of us, when we've looked back at the painful, difficult moments of our lives, we've reflected that we've seen where those handfuls of purpose, on purpose, were dropped for us, where God's goodness was expressed in a person or a moment that brought healing and relief to our lives. But this is what Ruth experiences. And this is the great truth from Ruth's story in this part that God's kindness and goodness will never abandon us. In fact, they pursue us. And we remember then the words of that psalm that have been a comfort to so many people. The, the final verse of Psalm 23 tells us, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of your life. And I want to say to you today, I believe with all of my heart, whatever you're experiencing, God is pursuing you only to show you his kindness and his goodness and his favour and his grace and his healing and the hope that you can find in him. When life seems bleak and difficult, God wants to break into our story with his kindness and his goodness. And that's what we see here in Ruth's story. But let's move on to scene three. Because scene three is set at the threshing floor of Boaz, where all of the grain that was taken would be separated and it will be threshed there. And this part of Ruth's story is all about love and relationship. Because Naomi recognises that actually Boaz is something more than just an opportune field owner that they've come across. And it's time really for Ruth to show a sense of her commitment her love for Boaz in this story. And if you read it, you'll know that in the evening she goes to the threshing floor where Boaz would be sleeping. And this is not some salacious kind of solicitous moment as some might suggest. There's something very honourable in this gesture where Ruth comes to Boaz to show her sense of willingly committing in relationship to him. She lays at his feet and this is her request. We read it in chapter 3 and verse 9. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of, excuse me, spread the corner of your covering over me for you and my family redeemer. I have to tell you as a preacher, there's so much here. I've got to be really good here and behave myself because there's so much that's unpacked in this moment. Because in the culture of Middle Eastern times, it would involve the practice of casting a garment over somebody that you were claiming for marriage. And that's all that Ruth is doing. Ruth is saying, I've seen your kindness to me. I want to get closer to you. I want a deeper relationship with you because you've shown kindness and goodness to me. And what's so powerful, for those of you who are Bible scholars, you'll know that Boaz is seen to be a type or a picture, an image of Jesus 
A representation of all that Jesus is here in this Old Testament story. He steps in to Ruth's grief, Naomi's grief, into their loss and their destitution. And he brings about a sense of hope. His significance is pointing to Jesus. He's what's known as a kinsman redeemer. In other words, the law allowed for a member of the family of somebody who'd lost to redeem the family belongings and relationships and bring them back into a good state of health and well-being. And as he does what he does for Ruth, he is seeing himself, he's imagining himself being the expression of God to the destitute and the helpless. And I want you to know today that our stories make no sense until they're connected to God's big story. Maybe you found that. Maybe you've come into a personal relationship with Jesus even quite recently and all of a sudden there's this awareness of life seems to make a little bit more sense. I've seen there's this bigger story of God's love for a dying world and God's hope and the message that God brings and all of a sudden it's like I'm dropped into his story, into God's history. As if at that moment is what happens to Ruth. She's just plummeted into, through her grief and her loss, a bigger story that she never truly understood. And that's where our third great truth in the story of Ruth is revealed, that surrendering the whole of our lives to Jesus is the very best thing we can do. So how do we begin to move beyond our sense of loss and grief and heartbreak? Whether that is through bereavement, but that could be all kinds of stuff. That could have been a loss of a job. That could have been a loss of another type of relationship, though that person's alive. That could be a a loss of a home, a loss of a business. Well, it's actually the way anything works in our lives. It's through our surrender to Jesus. It's by saying, Jesus, will you cover me? I need all that you are to minister to all that I'm experiencing. And Ruth is a non-Jew. She's a Moabite. She's outside, if you like, of the covenant relationship that God had with the people of Israel. But she represents the fact that God is always looking to draw near those who are far away. Not just those, maybe if you're watching or even in the room, who've never yet invited Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Saviour. Not just far away in that sense, but I think I'd have to recognise, and maybe you would with me, there are moments in my life through what I've experienced, through the pains of my life, I've allowed myself to drift far from God. But the invitation comes again to me to draw close to him. In Ephesians 2, we read these words in verse 17, that he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. There is an invitation for you today to come to the Father. But the final scene in this great story is set in the home of Boaz. And it's an amazing story here that begins to unpack for us all about hope and legacy. This is the moment when Ruth is redeemed. Her future is secured as Boaz takes her to be his wife. Not long ago, she was a Moabite widow, grieving and concerned for a future, but her story has been transformed by the goodness of God. But that's not all. The book of Ruth ends in quite an unusual way, quite unlike any of the other historical narratives in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. 
just like Matthew starts with a genealogy. And what's really interesting is we see in Ruth chapter 4 and verses 21 and 22 how this story begins to fit into place because it tells us there that Salmon was the father of Boaz and Boaz was the father of Obed. So what? And Obed was the father of Jesse, but Jesse was the father of David. Did you know that Ruth was King David's great-grandmother? She becomes part of God's much bigger story. King David is even to this day considered by Jewish people to be the greatest physical king they've ever known. The borders of Israel were never bigger than in David's reign. There was never so much peace and prosperity. Jerusalem was built up. David's own palace was built up and everything ready for the construction of the temple was put into place because of a Moabite woman who made a choice to choose a roadway and a pathway with an uncertain future. That's what you call legacy, but it gets even better than that. Because Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. She's in that line. And that genealogy takes us all the way from Ruth through 30 generations to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. You see, that's what we call legacy. That's what can happen, a sense of destiny and hope and future, when even in our darkest moments, we can choose a pathway that says, Lord Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. And all from a woman who made the right choices when she was grieving. A woman who chose the road to Bethlehem, who chose the right field to glean in and chose the right man to follow and to love. And so we're left with this question. What could become of your life if you choose to follow Jesus, whatever you're going through? It may feel bleak at the moment and we can begin to understand that. But what about the hope of a future that says, you know, I could carry something of this situation with the grace and the goodness of God into that future? And so to somehow begin to connect that, we want to show you someone's story. It's someone that so many of us here know really well. Someone who just a few years ago went through that story of loss and of grief and who found through it the goodness of God at work in her life that even today she can begin to tell that story. We, we first heard it a few years ago, but this is Vicky's story. Hi, my name's Vicky. I love Christmas, not only because I've, I love singing and I've been involved in Christmas productions here at the church for quite a few years, but as a family, when I was a child growing up, Christmas was always magical. So my family, there's my mum, my dad, my sister Nick, my brother Tim, and then I'm the youngest of three. But even more special uh, was that my sister's birthday was Christmas Eve. Now me and my sister had a very special relationship. As we grew up, we became two peas in a pod. At Christmas, as we got older, we would celebrate her birthday, we would have a Baileys on Christmas Eve evening and seeing uh, Christmas Day together. So then as, as time went on, uh, we got married and we had kids and so Christmas became even more magical, uh, seeing it through the eyes of our children. Then in autumn 2011, everything changed. We found out that my sister had cancer. I remember the day that she phoned me and told me the news. I was shocked and I couldn't believe it. But straight away my sister got into fighting mode. She was like, no, we're going to fight this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this. 
and so we got people praying, we asked our friends and family to pray. So uh, me and my family were Christians, we believe in God, my mum and dad, my sister, my brother and, and me, we all believe in God and believe uh, in prayer, the power of prayer. So we were praying that that she would be healed. And that Christmas uh, I was actually singing and I remember singing a song called A Christmas to Remember and I remember my sister sitting in the in the audience and I remember singing and saying yes we're gonna make this a Christmas to remember. And then over the next few years it was a roller coaster. They managed to get rid of the cancer through surgery and through radiotherapy and she was cancer free. A year or so later they told her that the cancer had returned. But we got back into fighting mode again and praying and wishing and hoping that it would be gone again. And again she was cancer free. So in the September 2015 uh, my sister was given the news that the cancer had returned for the third time and this time they said that there was nothing they could do. The, the cancer that she had was a very rare cancer that was in her head which meant her face was affected. She was very upset that her this one side of her mouth uh, went down and my sister was always very very smiley as a person and she uh, was really upset that she couldn't smile properly. And in November 2016, Nick was told that the cancer had spread uh, and it had gone all into her bones this time. And they'd said that she probably only had weeks to live at that point. And we were still wishing and hoping that she would be healed. And amazingly, whether you know God and a combination of treatments that they'd been able to give her, she was given a a new sense of energy. Up until that point she'd been quite poorly and so she could only sit really and watch the children play. But that one Sunday she had this new sense of energy. She was helping Jack, her son, with his homework that Sunday. Uh, she um, was planning Christmas, talking about Christmas presents that she wanted to get. And then the next day, on the Monday, I heard a phone call from my mum saying that uh, Nick was really, really bad and I needed to come. So I got in the car with Mark, my husband, and we drove down the motorway down to the hospice in Cheltenham. And we came round as a family and we prayed and we still were asking God to heal her, to bring her through, just, you know, and I remember saying, come on Nick, you can fight this. And then at half past one in the morning of the 29th of November, my sister died. And up until about an hour before, we were still wishing and hoping that she was gonna pull through but she didn't and we were together as a family and we cried together as a family and we said goodbye <laughs> so two weeks after she died i sang in the christmas production here at church and i sang a song called i believe because despite the grief that i was feeling i knew that I believed in God, so I knew that I could stand up and sing that Christmas. But then after Christmas and into the new year, it did change for me emotionally and my journey of grief. And I really struggled with some questions that I had towards God. I couldn't understand why she couldn't still be here with us, why he didn't heal her. And week in, week out, on a Sunday, I would still come to church 
but I couldn't sing. But then as time went on, bit by bit, I managed to sing again. Because I know that no matter what I've been through, the storm and the, the, the craziness that the grief took me in, uh, I came out the other side and I know that God loves me, he loves my family, that no matter what we've been through, what I've been through, that he will always, always uh, be there through those storms and that he is my hope and that my hope is secure. My sister said a few days before she died that she didn't want to go, but and she wondered what it might feel like but she knew where she was going. Things are still hard. I still miss my sister so much. Um, and Christmas is, is gonna be hard. And I wish that I could pick up the phone and speak to her again, or pop up to heaven and have a catch up again. But I know that I can't. I won't get what I wish for, but I've got hope. I've got hope in God. And I know that death isn't the end that I know that I will see her again in heaven. And that's why I can sing again. That's why I can live again. Vicky's story brings it home, doesn't it? It just reminds us and maybe there's a sense in which even now you're watching in, you're here in the room and you can feel that sense of pain. I want to say to you that God is here and God is with you where you are. And there's a reality that the Bible brings into our hearts and lives. And we don't want to try just to have to somehow suffocate out those realities. We want to invite God into them. I want to believe that God, the Holy Spirit for you and for, for those of us who experience in loss, maybe to the severe extent that that Vicky did or in lots of other ways in your world, in your life. Just want you to know today that God loves you. Maybe you're watching in from, from around the UK, from somewhere else in the world. Maybe you're part of our church watching in today. and Maybe you don't know Jesus. I want to say to you with all my heart, there is no greater decision, whatever the circumstances in your life, than inviting God to come and give you the gift of the Spirit, enter your life by the Holy Spirit and you become a new and living being and a, a new future opens up. And yeah, old emotions can still sit there, but a new future on the pathway that says, I'm walking with you, Lord Jesus, through whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm experiencing in life. Maybe you're in the venue today and you're feeling that too. We want to declare to you that God is good and He's faithful and He's true. And we can be real with Him. It's interesting, in the, in the book of Habakkuk, there's a whole story there about how Habakkuk pours out his pain before God. And you get to the end of that story and Habakkuk's had this revelation where he realises that amid all of that, God is still good. He kind of ends with these words. He says, you know, though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vine and the olive press is empty, yet I'm going to rejoice in God my Saviour. And we don't rejoice because of what we've experienced. We don't thank God for what we've experienced, but we recognise in every part of our lives, God is good and he's faithful and he's true. And there's a song we're just about to sing. The guys on the stage are going to sing it for us. And here in the venue, we can enter in by acknowledging the great themes of it. And where you are in your home or watching today or at another point in your week, 
The words to the second verse are really, really amazing. They say, I love your voice. You've led me through the fire. And in the darkest night, you're close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I will live in the goodness of God. And we're going to stand here in the venue and we want to encourage you where you are. Maybe you could stand if you're with us here today in, in our venue. And we're going to encourage you where you are. You can enter into this. And I'm going to encourage all of the folks here just to open our hearts and say, God, by your Holy Spirit, knowing me as only you do, will you just come and minister to my heart and life? Maybe you're not experiencing a huge sense of loss and grief and heartbreak, but maybe you know someone who is. And you can be praying for them in this moment. But we believe in this moment that God can come and step into your story and bring you into line with his great story for your life. A story has a future of hope. And as the team leaders in this song, let's just declare together, we're going to live in the goodness of God.